I want to I want to preach for a month on the cross because as I told you before I became aware as we went through um, went through Easter of our tendency and I think it's an American tendency to want to get to the answer too fast so that we can be relieved of the burden of the journey and we can be relieved of learning lessons that only come through the process we don't talk very much about the cross and that's too bad because that is where the victory was won and so for the next few Sundays I'd like to talk exactly and accurately about what happened when Jesus hung on the cross today I want to talk about three things that were accomplished by his going to the cross for us you know it's a it's it's kind of a funny feeling uh, being here in the 19 90s now and seeing about the blood of Jesus and the fount of the blood and you know to little kids that's pretty gross that's gross stuff and even to some of us who have not really had the background of the necessity of a blood sacrifice which blood represents life and that is a kind of a graphic and sometimes a gross term but what we need to know is that sin has a very graphic and gross price. And the price never goes away. The price has to be paid. And if we think we can get to the answer without someone paying the price, we delude ourselves. When I was in seventh grade, I had this teacher, Mrs. Wolf. I'll never forget her as long as I live. I hope she's still alive because um, she could be teaching someone else as well as she taught us. She was a German lady. She spelled her name with an E, Wolf with an E. And she marched like a German lady. She was pure discipline, personified. She had a bun on top of her head, hair pulled back. She had those old, you know, those old high, high heels that were thick, black high heels that tie. And she'd march up and down, up and down the aisles, you know. And everything we did in that class was detail and process. We didn't write a sentence. We diagrammed every sentence we wrote. We didn't write a paragraph. We wrote a topic sentence and painstakingly would have to relate how every sentence in that paragraph related back to that topic sentence. We didn't do a math problem. We wrote out every step of a math problem. We never gave the answer until we had gone through the entire process. I absolutely hated it. Number one, because you can't cheat. You can't look over in your neighbor's paper and get the answer. And number two, because I thought I was going to die in the details. And I kept saying, as long as you get the right answer, what difference does it make? I've never forgotten what difference it's make, it makes. Because all of my life, I've had to go through a process, and you have too. And you've heard people give you the answer. Well, Jesus is the answer, see? But you don't quite know how to stick that onto your problem. It's not enough to say Christ is the answer. 
until you know how to work out the problems. It's not enough to be hurt and wounded by someone and have somebody come up and say, well, you know what you need. You need to forgive them. Of course we do. How do we forgive? How do we get to the answer? And you know what? Even if our answers were a little off, if Mrs. Wolf saw that we were taking the correct problem-solving procedure, that was okay. Because she knew sooner or later we'd come up with the right answer, taking the correct procedure. If we had added wrong or multiplied wrong, she wasn't nearly so alarmed at that as if we didn't know how to work the problem. Well, something happened on the cross. And I keep hearing us talk about all the benefits of the cross. Our sins are forgiven. God's character is revealed. Evil is defeated. And it seems too easy to me. Because we haven't gone through the process with Christ. And so our character is not built. And we do not qualify, it seems to me, to use all of those benefits. As a matter of fact, we get a little reckless and a, really, a little silly with them. So therefore, I'd like to go through just three things today that were, that were accomplished on the cross. And, and it, is, it is so greatly and plainly raised up in this passage. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the uncircumcision is, is just being in a natural state. And our flesh is that which tempts us from inside. The world is that which tempts us from outside. But we were dead inside. See, we were separated from God in our sin. Having a good old time. Being frustrated. Being at war within. He made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. The first thing the cross does for us is it forgives our sins. Substitution is needed for the forgiveness of sins. Now, now, I can't tell you how important it is to not just jump to forgiveness. Have you ever, have you ever done something that you know is terribly wrong? And you have some flip person come up to you and say, well, just ask for forgiveness and you're forgiven. Now, theologically, if you are in Christ, that's correct. But does, isn't there something in you that says, no, no, wait a minute, I haven't gone through the process. I'm not talking about not accepting the forgiveness. I'm talking about, you mean to tell me if I do a sin and I do that sin repeatedly, and as many times as I sin, all I need to do is ask for forgiveness. Where's the correction come from? Ah, there's the rub. Because Christ came down not only to get us into heaven, but get heaven into us. So therefore, there needs to be a process, and there needs to be a price. And we need to realize every time we sin, somebody pays that price. It isn't just rubbed out. It, isn't, it doesn't just evaporate. You know in the physical world there is no such thing as the evaporation or disappearance of something. When you burn some matter and it turns into energy, it hasn't disappeared. It has transformed into something else. And so that, therefore, every time we sin, it doesn't go away. Somebody has to bear that burden. And that's a real price. 
And if we just accept the forgiveness of sins to escape, there have been, there's been no change in our lives. I remember visiting a convicted murderer uh, back in Indiana for two years. He had come to Christ because someone had explained the promises of Scripture to him. That we can have freedom in Christ and that we can stand on Scripture and that we can count on God to fulfill his promises and then read him all these wonderful things that would happen to, in his life if he would simply follow Christ. Now here is a, a guy who's 35 years old who at 14 and a half had blown one of his foster fathers away. He had been passed around from foster home to foster home. Finally got so fed up with the whole process, was so frustrated, took a shotgun and killed his foster father. Since that time, he had been in prison, learning the ways of prison, learning how to get by, learning how to work the system. So you can imagine what happened when he got the system of Christianity. No kidding, if I believe in the Father, then he will do all these wonderful things for my life. And so I went, and I, for two years I visited him. And every time I would go, he'd say, tell me about the promises. He'd drag out Kenneth Hagin and drag out all, all of this theology and just tell me how I can stand on the promises. And I kept saying, well, let's talk about how God transforms our lives. Let's talk about how he helps us sacrifice and helps us be different people. No, tell me about the promises. And every time, a clemency hearing would come up. He'd say, now you have the people in the church pray that the governor will grant me clemency. And so we would all in the church pray, Lord, if it be your will. Now, let me just say something to you. I've heard real powerful preachers say, never pray if it be your will. Of course it's his will. Don't ever assume you know the will of God. Please. That puts you in a place you ought not be. Jesus prayed, if it be your will. And if it's good enough for Jesus to pray, if it be your will, we can pray, if it be your will. Okay? So don't take off with God and start ordering him around, or you're going to be in deep weeds, theologically. And that's exactly where this guy was, because... God did not grant him clemency through the governor. God knew his character wasn't ready for clemency. And so he just kept getting turned down. After two years, he threw his Bible in the trash. And he said, I'd advise you to do the same. This stuff doesn't work. Is it that it doesn't work? Or is it that it is not an easy escape from the pain of transformation in this life? I knew another person. I heard of another person who was a famous artist. His name was Leonardo da Vinci. And when he approached the painting of the Last Supper, he had had a bitter, hostile quarrel with another artist. And so to get revenge... He began that painting. And the first face he painted was the face of Judas. And guess who he painted into the face of Judas? It was plain for all who saw that painting. 
that Da Vinci meant for this fellow's face to be portrayed in infamy for as long as that painting lasted. And he went on with the painting. And he came to the face of Christ. And he tried to paint the face of Christ and he couldn't. And he tried again and he couldn't. And he tried again and he couldn't. And he knew what the problem was. He went back to the artist and asked for forgiveness. He blotted out that face of Judas and painted it differently. And then he went to the face of Christ and painted the face of Christ. You see, we can't make spiritual progress until there has been a transformation in our hearts. It's not enough to say, well, don't worry about this part of your life. Just go on to the goody stuff. Don't worry about forgiveness. Don't do hard things. Just go on to the good stuff and realize your sins are forgiven. No. Jesus paid a wonderful price for us. But it wasn't easy for him. As it won't be for us. That price had to be paid legally. It had to be paid like the world sees it. It had to be paid objectively. That was what was done for us. Secondly, it's important to know that on the cross there was a revelation of God's character. Not just something objective, but subjective. Who God was. When you say, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, and which was hostile to us. Now, anytime we break the law, then we are in debt to the law. And we owe that to the law, and we can't pay it back. How do you pay back someone you've insulted? You may apologize, but the scar is still there. How do you pay back a God that you've grieved? You may apologize, but you've still taken away from him what is his. Okay, so we couldn't, so he had to. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses, having canceled out the certificate, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What did he nail to the cross? Himself. The character of God is that he loves us to the degree that he would go through the pain. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever had somebody in your life that wounded you so deeply? And somebody came bouncing up to you and said, well, just forgive them. Just forgive them. Because you'll never get free until you forgive them. And you know they're exactly right. But you can't. You can't because it's not right. There's something of a justice issue here. And you just feel like it's not right. And your heart won't go. And you keep saying, it's got to go. And your heart won't go. Why not? Because when you do that and when I do that, we have not yet faced the hard truth that we become the sacrificial lambs in a very real sense of their sins. That just as Jesus has been our sacrifice, 
When somebody hurts us unjustly, in order to forgive them, we have to carry the hurt. We have to go through the pain. And it is not easy. It is not easy. We have to suffer the injustice, just as Christ did for us. That's a hard line to toe. And there is no easy answer to that. And when someone says, I can't, I know what they are expressing are the feelings of rage. There must be an easier way. No, there's not. The way is that you bear that hurt. You bear the injustice for their sake. There is no easy answer to that. That's not flip Christianity. That's not shallow Christianity. That's saying, how much do you love? Can you love like Jesus loved? Not unless he's in your heart, you can't. It's not humanly possible. But with Christ, it is possible. There was a story about John Selwyn, who was a huge, big boxer uh, fella. And... uh, He came to Christ, gave his life to Christ, went to the South Sea Islands on a mission work, was explaining, and there were were natives that were receiving Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the power that comes with walking in Christ. So he was eventually promoted to bishop of the work, the head of the work. And one day he was walking down the street and saw a fellow who was a nominal Christian, who had just come in for the, for the forgiveness of it all, and uh, was sinning. And the bishop stopped and reprimanded him and reproved him, as I hope you will with each other when you see each other sin, as I hope you will with me if you ever see me sin. I'm serious about that. That's our job. That's part of the difficulty of being a Christian. Well, this little fella was so enraged at being embarrassed that he hauled back and smack, hit the bishop in the face as hard as he could. The bishop crossed his arms and waited for any other blows that he had. And the little fella was so embarrassed he ran into the jungle. Sometime later, Bishop Selwyn became ill, had to go back to England, and his replacement went there, and one day this little fellow, now years later, comes walking out of the jungle with a repentant heart, knowing something of the character now of God, and he wanted to be repentant, and he wanted to be baptized, and in that day when a native was baptized, many times They changed their names. And so the replacement of Bishop Selwyn said, what would you like to change your name to? And he said, if it be all right, I'd like to change my name to John Selwyn. Because he showed me what Jesus Christ was like. The second thing that happened on the cross was that we got a glimpse of the character of God, of the sacrificial love of God. You know what? You can have all of your sins forgiven. You can be in perfect legal standing with God, but having a personal relationship with Christ is something altogether different, isn't it? 
You can't have a personal relationship with Christ unless you know his character. You can't walk personally with God until you know. You can have all the objective stuff taken care of, but until you know who God is, you can't love him for who he is, and you can't know who he is until you look on the cross. And you can't be who he is until you look on the cross. And thirdly, the cross was the defeat of evil. Now, I want you to be real careful here. And I'm going to say some things to you right now <clears throat> that we're going to, are going to rub you the wrong way. But we all need to be rubbed every once in a while, don't we? In Greek, defeat, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a word um, in Greek um, that, is, that is used, kardageo, that means destroyed. And when the Bible says that evil was destroyed, it brings up in our mentality that it was eliminated. Well, you and I know from our own lives that evil was not eliminated. You and I know from our own lives that Satan is not inactive. Katagaro doesn't mean destroyed in the terms of eliminated. It means destroyed in terms of rendered ineffective when given any battle at all. Of weakened to the point of being sure to be defeated. That's what it means. Scripture is very clear about the continuance of evil in this world. Now, here's what I want to say to you that may rub you the wrong way. The whole reason we need to look at the cross is because I see Christian after Christian who is so anxious to get to our state of glory that comes in heaven where there are no problems that they stand in this world and they say there are no problems. The devil has already been defeated. All you need to do is speak the name of Jesus and that problem will go away. And I see person after person faltering because of stupid theology that thinks that the devil is going to give up on him just because he's spoken the name of Jesus. Let me tell you something. The name of Christ, the character of Christ, will defeat Satan. But after battle, after battle, after battle, in some cases. Now, in some cases, it will be over once you have come into the power of Christ and you say, Satan, leave me alone. In some cases, where it says, resist Satan and he'll flee from you, that does talk about immediate resistance. But you know when you're in your bedroom all alone, you know when you're in your car all alone that some of you have temptations that come back and back and back and back and back. You think they've been defeated in your life? Why are they still there? Have you not claimed the Christ? The victory of the Christ? They ought to be gone. Well, it's because God does not want us to avoid 
the character that persistence builds, builds. He does not want to avoid having us qualified to receive the blessing because we have loved him in a consistent manner. In Southeast Asia, there's a little animal called the Ichnuan. Now, the Ichnuan's a little weasel-like thing. Little bitty weasel-like thing. You know what that thing does? It attacks poisonous snakes. Stupid. It attacks them. It is not so fast that it's not bitten. It is not so strong that it can overpower them if it gets a good hold on them. It does not have in its body the immunity to the poison of the snake. But it attacks them anyhow. But it won't attack a snake unless it is near a certain kind of plant. And I can't remember the name of that plant. But in the leaves of this plant is the chemicals for the antivenom. So it'll go after a poisonous snake many times bigger than it is. And it'll get bit. And it'll limp back to this plant. And it'll chew up these leaves. And the antivenom will work. And it'll get some energy. And it'll go back for the snake. And it'll get bit again. And it'll come back to the plant. And it'll chew up the leaf. You see? And it will continue to eat on that plant. And continue to attack the snake until the snake is dead. That is an accurate biblical picture of our quarrel with Satan. We don't have what it takes to beat him, but we're near the one who provides us with the antivenom, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside and strengthens us for another battle. That's what it takes. And eventually... Because we have made our bodies a sacrifice. Just one, just one uh, quick thing. I know, I know we want to get to communion here, but one quick verse in Romans 12. I want you to see the connection between the first verse and the last verse of Romans 12. The first verse says, and most of you have this memorized, or many of you do, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy what? Sacrifice. Most of us don't like to think of that. I mean, we get on the table, we keep crawling off when the knife comes. Uh, sacrifice? Uh, you don't mean like getting hurt, do you? Yeah, that's what a sacrifice does. A sacrifice gets hurt. A sacrifice takes risks. A sacrifice is the one that gets nailed and takes on the pain of other people. That's what a sacrifice is. Acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now look at the last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sacrifice and the defeat of evil come together. Getting hurt, going through pain, working, perseverance is the very thing that beats evil at its own game. 
You see, when Satan puts all he has into your life and it's not enough to destroy you, he is gone. One more story. My kids sometimes buy uh, Christian tapes. And there's an artist by the name of Carmen. He's fantastic. I mean, he's, he's got some really neat, neat songs. And they bought one recently that, uh, that has a song on it called The Fight. And it's kind of the Rocky theme, you know, where Jesus and, and Satan are coming. You know, Jesus is going to Calvary. And uh, uh, Satan, oops, Satan is... Uh, Gathering all of his demons to watch the fight, you know. This is going to be the fight. So all of them are around. And in the song, I can't remember the song very well, but in the song, Out of Love, you know, maybe he's reaching toward the people he loves or something. But Satan delivers the fatal blow. I mean, all the power Satan has is in this blow, and Jesus goes down. And the count starts. And all of the demons in hell are jumping up and down. Yeah, 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 we got him. And the count starts. Ten. Nine. Eight. And all the demons in hell are jumping up and down, saying, this is great. He's dead. This is great. Seven. Six. Something occurs to them. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, they say. You're counting the wrong way. Five. Four. Wait, wait, wait. Something's wrong here. Wait, you're supposed to be counting up. You're supposed... Three. Two. One. W. O. N. He has won. Listen. Through sacrifice, through vulnerability, through risk, through carrying what is not ours, Satan is defeated. Not by might. Not by power, but by the Spirit of the living Christ, Satan is defeated. Don't get to try to go to the promises too fast. Because Jesus didn't come to change the world, he came to change us. Don't escape through Scripture. It's too easy. It's not meant to be. Build through Scripture. And you will find that as you face the difficult issues of life, as you go to the cross with Christ, as you crawl up there with Him, because you love Him, as you stretch out your arms for people who could destroy you, you will find that they can't. They can't. Because love is stronger. Let's go to supper with the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, 
as we celebrate this sacrifice that you have made for us, as we come to your table, which is a reminder of how you've been broken and drained for us. Give us the truth that we are all paid for, but that we have the wonderful privilege of bearing one another's burdens. In a very real sense, Lord, the people who hurt us are accountable only to you. But in a very real sense, the only freedom we will ever have is if we can love them anyhow. So as we take this bread and cup, come, us, come into us with your brokenness. Come into us with your giving and make us living sacrifices so that evil in this world will be defeated. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.